You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio, and it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. And we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, we are taking another look at what's happening in Montgomery, Alabama. We are talking to Dylan Nettles from the Alabama ACLU about voting rights and the Habitual Felony Offender Act. We're also talking to, we might be talking to Felicia Scalzetti from Hometown Action about a bill that would attack workers' rights to freely assemble. We're also talking about how the taxpayer is double-subsidizing non-union construction contractors, how corporations are lying to workers, and more on today's Valley Labor Report. If you want to be a part of the program today, we've got a phone number. You can call 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave a voicemail throughout the week and uh, we might play it on next week's show. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us online. Uh, We are all over the place. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Wherever you get your podcasts, anywhere you're online, you can find us there. And just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our single largest source of funding comes directly from our listeners. Our single largest uh, source of funding is listener donations. So if you want to become a sustaining member of the program or make a one-time donation, you can go to unionly.io slash o slash tvlr. That is unionly.io slash o slash tvlr or patreon.com slash the valley labor report if you're a member of a union then you should get your local to sponsor the show you can reach out to me for more details on that uh let's start off with a local story um david sent me this yesterday (laughs) both of us were saying um not radio appropriate things about this uh so you know that we love apprenticeship programs around here um We've talked to the Iron Workers Local 477 about their apprenticeship program multiple times, and we will be talking to several other trade unions in the coming months about their programs as well. I have been um, messaging back and forth with Bill Blackman uh, from the IBEW 136 out of Birmingham about their apprenticeship program. 
And um, and also, as you will find out, Joe Chittum, the Huntsville area representative for the Pipefitters Union Local 760 in Huntsville, um, about their apprenticeship program. But the trade unions are not the ones that got free local TV coverage last week. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was the non-union contractors. WHNT mentioned that for folks looking to change careers or for people straight out of high school, uh, there is a new 12-week pipefitter scam, I mean program, at Calhoun that you might be interested in. Um, and I'm not saying that it's a scam just because it's non-union contractors, although uh, that might be enough reason to call it that. Now, listen to this description of the program, and we will break it down. Adam, play the clip. The cost of the 12-week program is less than $500. Brazier says entry-level positions in the industry pay about $17 an hour. The average annual income for, income for a pipe-fitting job is about $46,000. They say that this is a 12-week program that costs, it costs $500, a 12-week program to get a pipe fitter certification from Calhoun and these non-union contractors. This is a 12-week pipe fitter apprenticeship program that costs $500. And uh, my question is, why is there a cost? Why is there a cost? This program is taking place at a taxpayer-subsidized university. Union apprenticeship programs are not taxpayer-subsidized. No government funding goes in to union apprenticeship programs, and they are almost universally free to participate in. They are paid for by current members. Um, so I wanted to check just to make sure that the details for that the details for um, uh, uh, for the local pipefitters union is the same uh, as you know everybody else. So that's why I talked to Joe yesterday, um, the Huntsville area representative for the United Association Local 760. That is the union of pipefitters and steamfitters here in the area, and he confirmed that is the case. That's the case here in Huntsville. Um, not only is it free to take, not only are we as the taxpayer not paying for it, like we are with these non-union construction contractors, you earn while you learn in the trade union apprenticeships. So not only is it free to the apprentice, but they pay you to take it. They pay you to take this. They offer apprenticeship training in welding, HVAC, pipe fitting, plumbing, and more. He kept going on and on and on, listing all the different skills that you can get. And I just stopped writing it down because I was like, okay, I'm tired of writing notes. Uh, their apprenticeship program here in Huntsville is five years, so you learn a lot more than you will and whatever's going on in that scam of a program in 12 weeks. And of course, uh, they mention on in the WHNT segment that an entry level job is about seventeen dollars an hour, and I'm not I'm not totally sure what that means. Right? Does that, does that mean that you come out of the apprenticeship programming program having spent five hundred dollars and only make seventeen dollars an hour? 
I mean, it it sounds like because you would be an entry level person after having come come out of this apprenticeship program. But uh, so and on top of that, not being super clear about how much you're actually going to be making after you spend five hundred dollars on this taxpayer subsidized non-union scam and, and 12 weeks of your time mind you because obviously right. you're not going to be able to to hold down a full-time job i'm guessing while completing right. this 12-week program right uh they also don't mention the benefits which is not a good sign no the local pipe fitters union the local pipe fitters union apprentices start out at 15 dollars an hour which is less than $17 an hour, but you're uh, making money instead of paying money, and they get a 5% raise after every 850 hours worked, and you get 100% employer-sponsored health care, no premiums, $0 a month, no premiums. The deductible is $700 a year, co-pays are $45. And if you have cancer... The costs for your cancer treatments are completely waived. You don't even have to pay your deductible or co-pays for cancer treatment. It's 100% cancer covered. That is, and, and, and after five years, you come out as a journeyman making $30 an hour or over $62,000 per year, unlike whatever they're trying to sell you with this non-union construction taxpayer subsidized contractor scam <laughs> where they're telling you that the average person the average person not not the entry level not the um you know not somebody who's just out of entry level but the average that you can expect to earn that means like what after you've been doing this for 15 years is 40 something thousand dollars a year 40 something thousand dollars a year is the average that you can expect to make with these non-union construction uh, uh, contracting firms. I mean, that's it. where, after five years of a union apprenticeship program, you come out as a journeyman making 62000 a year, like minimum, okay? And this pisses me off so much, like not only because the people that take this course are getting swindled, um, which they are in big time, and that would be enough to piss me off. But I'm getting swindled, personally. Personally, I'm getting swindled. You, the listener, are getting swindled. We are double-subsidizing these crappy non-union contractors that are involved in this because we are subsidizing the cost of their apprentices' education even after the apprentices themselves are out weeks of work and hundreds of dollars, but also on the other end, because people who are not paid well will be dependent on government benefits. So we'll be subsidizing the low wages of these contractors on top of, uh, on top of their taxpayer-subsidized education programs. Now, you know, I don't know, maybe you're saying, maybe you say, uh, uh, ah, Jake, come on, maybe they're not making union wages, but surely they're not uh, going to be on welfare. I mean, surely they won't be on welfare, right? Right? Well, you would be wrong. You would be wrong. A study... From the UC Berkeley Labor Center found that nationwide, this is insane. This is absolutely insane. Nationwide, 
of families of construction workers are enrolled in one or more safety net program at a cost of almost $28 billion per year. And three times as many construction workers as all workers lack health insurance. Wow. That's that's bigger than I expected, honestly. Yeah. That me too. I mean, I I even I I it, it's funny that this all kind of happened at the same time because I saw the study and I was going to talk about the study anyway before I saw this WHNT news segment. Um and 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 then I saw the news segment. And I was like, "Oh, this ties ties in really neatly with a local issue." But that's insane. That's absolutely insane. Construction workers in all five of the benefit programs that this study looked at, which is adult Medicaid, children's Medicaid, the earned income tax credit, food stamps, uh, uh, temporary assistance for needy families, and SNAP. I'm not sure what SNAP is. SNAP is, is the food stamps. SNAP uh, is the, the food stamps. Supplemental Nutrition Assistance okay. Program, so TAN- I believe. TANF. T-A-N-F. That would be... welfare. Right, right. Okay, I see, I see. You know, uh, ever since Bill Clinton and the Newt Gingrich years, it's incredibly hard (laughs) for any people to actually access. Right, right. So um, every single one of these uh, programs that uh, they studied nationwide, um, or, or in Washington, I'm sorry, in Washington, in every single one of these programs... Uh, construction workers were more likely than the average worker to be enrolled in these benefit programs, which that's that's crazy. Construction work is some of the, I mean, most laborious and most dangerous industries out there, and they are more likely than the average worker, three times more likely than the average worker to not have health care, and more likely than the average worker to have to be on government benefits. I mean, that is you know, if there's anything a that, sorry state of affairs. If there's anything that makes it a little scarier to have to climb up on the roof of a house... It's, it's knowing it's, that you don't have health insurance. Right, right. Uh, that makes the risk of falling uh, a little bit worse, I have to say. Um, as someone who is definitely not comfortable with heights, but uh, I'm glad you, I'm really glad you brought this up, and uh, you know, it, it is good that we are all on the same page with this because, you know, uh, like anyone, I think it's great for people to have options. I think it's great to advertise mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that no, you do not have to stick with just college, right. Yeah, I mean it, it. It's you don't have to just stick with college, and we uh we love. I'm I'm hearing a little bit of an echo, like uh like something else is playing. But I I I love um you know what the trade unions, what their apprenticeship programs do, because it's not the union uh construction workers who are out there making 30 40 50 dollars an hour that are on these government benefits that we're subsidizing their employers it's uh it's the non-union contractors the ones that are involved in this scam with Calhoun Community College um and and i i mean it's just it's so sad so i think i'm going to be trying to you know, I'm secretary treasurer of the local labor council i'm going to try to work with some of the trade unions and maybe put out a press release detailing all of the local apprenticeship programs that are available 
and hopefully we can get some coverage on some of the local media for that because uh, this is just it's and, and and I mean you know look I mean when you compare. $500 for 12 weeks to like the scam that is normal college education. Maybe somebody says that's not, but they don't know what to compare it to. You right. know, they don't know that there are trade union apprenticeship programs out there that is uh, not only free, but you get paid while you do it. Uh, you are, uh, you learn on the job, you get on the job training and, um, and you come out making $30 an hour. You know, I it, and I think, you're right that a lot of people don't know these these options and in particular young people who are you know getting ready to leave high school and as someone who has taught high school and uh, you know is family of educators we've had a lot of conversations with 17 18 year olds who had no idea that trade union apprenticeships were an option for them Mm -hmm. and these are the exact types of folks who would you know see a program on whnt like this and think oh well maybe that's that's the best i can do you know hey at least it's better than walmart right uh but there are these options out there and i think that's got to be one of the next steps is really integrating the apprenticeship programs into our schools uh public school systems are really missing the boat here by not uh, working with the local trade unions, mm-hmm. getting them in the door for career days. Uh, I think I told you about a career day at a high school in the area that I attended not too long ago. And you had, you know, the military was there. Uh, you had uh, colleges there. Yeah. And then you had Frito-Lay. Uh, it was like a who's who of companies that had been wow. uh, that had striking workers over the past year. They were there. You know, this is a, a rural high poverty school. And they were looking for a pipeline of, of low-wage non-union mm-hmm. labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how amazing would it have been if there had also been a few tables there for the pipe fitters and the iron right. workers who could have uh, steered some young men and women into that career path who can be making some great money, have benefits that can take care of a family. You know, that would be a game changer for so many young people. So uh, right. for any educators out there listening... Anything you can do inside your districts to build those connections between the union apprenticeship programs and mm-hmm. your your college and career counseling. Um, you know, one of the sort of hidden trends in the last 10 years or so in education has been this career readiness focus. Right. And you've seen Department of Commerce and these other economic development agencies and, and uh, individuals play an outsized role in education policy and um, you know there again it is about establishing pipelines of workers but not towards these apprenticeship programs Mm -hmm. which are not relying on taxpayer dollars they are uh, providing people you know the the pathway to live uh, a decent quality of life and to be able to afford to take care of a family so right so anyways, non-union con- uh, contractors are bad. <laughs> Don't let them scam you into paying for something that you can get for free and better than for free that you can be paid to acquire. Absolutely. And with the added benefit of being part of the labor movement. If you want to join a trade union apprenticeship program, get in touch and we'll point you in the right direction. Um, they take folks straight out of high school and folks looking to change careers just like the scammers. If you have experience, they will put that towards your apprenticeship program. Uh, I checked and make, made sure with Joe. He, he was like, I mean, if you if you happen to have fallen for this or 
other tricks like it, then for whatever it's worth, whatever you did learn, that will be, uh, you know, that'll be tacked on to your real apprenticeship program if you join the Pipefitters Union, and they'll, you know, they'll take into account what you already know. Um, so that's that that's good. And I only say that get in touch with us instead of like pointing you to a website or something because some of them, and for the Pipefitters specifically, you have to go and pick up an application in person. Um, so, so get in touch with us. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, we check our DMs. Um, and for those of you local, the Pipe Fitters Hall is right there on Madison Boulevard, yep. Highway 20. Um, Although you, know. you have to pick up the application from the hall in Muscle Shoals. You okay. do your training in Madison, but you have to pick up the application from Muscle Shoals because that's where, I don't know, that's, that's just where he said you have to pick it up from. Um, we're going to go to a break really quick, and when we get back from the break, we're going to talk, uh, make a really quick announcement, something to look out for, and uh, then we're going to be talking to Dylan Nettles from Alabama ACLU about the Habitual Felony Offender Act and uh, some voting rights restoration stuff that they are working on during this legislative session. So you're listening to the Valley Labor Report with Jacob Morrison and Adam Keller. Don't turn away. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Support for this program also comes from the Ironworkers Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, Or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need ironworkers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know how viable clean and renewable energy is, and to that end, 
Energy Alabama has provided instruction to thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state, and they are working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about their work and how you can join at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at ibew136.org. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. We are back. My name is Jacob Morrison. Fascism and uh, white supremacy is a big threat to working people uh, because, you know, I don't know how, <laughs> how, how, how much I need to go into details on why it's bad. I think. It's, uh, well, it's they great. like to kill us. Yeah, uh, yeah. Historically. They want to kill us. Um, what uh, by way of dividing working class people on the basis of race, sex, um, sexual orientation, etc. And that hinders our ability to unify and organize and fight the boss and actually make our lives better. But also because where they have even a little bit of power, its adherents will use it to do real life harm to working people that are members, especially that are members of marginalized communities or working people that uh, fight on behalf of members of marginalized communities. Um, and they have uh, fascists and white supremacists when they have been organized. They have historically been opponents of organized labor. Uh, they constantly fight, especially against militant unionists, uh, sometimes figuratively and sometimes literally. So it's the duty of the labor movement to recognize that, to stand against fascism and its adherents. And so when I was notified of uh, fascist and white supremacist organizing in the area, I wanted to pass it along just so that folks can kind of be wary of that. Uh, Ian Michael Elliott is a fascist and white supremacist who lives in Harvest, Alabama. We're putting his photo up on the stream so that people can see what he looks like. Uh, and, and I'm not using like fascist and white supremacists loosely. I don't think that anybody that watches the show uh, regularly would um, come away with the impression that I use that term loosely. He's a member of Patriot Front and the Church of Arianity, which is a Christian slash white supremacist pagan cult. Um so I, I'm, I'm definitely not using, uh, not using that word lightly. He used to teach at Triad, Triad Martial Arts in Huntsville, where after it was revealed that he was part of these groups and actively organizing for white supremacy and fascism, he was stripped of rank there and removed from their list of instructor, instructors. But he may still teach at Concealed Tactical in Madison, Alabama. That is a Krav Maga school. They have quietly removed him from their list of instructors, but they have not made any public statement about uh, his working there or uh, whether or not fascism is good. <laughs> so, uh, you know, be aware of that. I know that there are people who are members of the fitness community and, um, 
you know, the uh, martial arts and things like that. So uh, just just be wary. Be wary of that. Be on the lookout. Um, his name is Ian Michael Elliott, and uh, we have more information. And also, I uh, the we've got more information in the description there where of the YouTube video where you can see that this is not a. Uh, it, not only am I not using white supremacist and fascist loosely, um, I, it, it's also certainly not a case of mistaken identity. This is not like a person who uh, just, you know, said an, a not politically correct thing and then, oh, yeah, he's a member of, like, no, they've got, um, they, it, 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 it's really detailed reporting and um, rock-solid evidence that he is, in fact, a member of these groups and he is, in fact, uh, doing white supremacist and, and fascist organizing. So be on the lookout. Make sure that you are aware of that threat in our community. Um, have we got... Uh, are we still waiting for Dylan to get on the No, uh, Dylan is on Dylan the line. Dylan is and, on the uh, line. Fantastic. So uh, I know you were going to set up set up this interview, Jacob, and definitely don't want to steal your thunder there. But before you even get to that part, I did just want to give a, a brief reminder. Uh, sometimes we get questions as to, you know, why do we cover issues of like criminal justice reform, uh, voting rights reform, those sort of things. What do they have to do with the labor movement and us as union members trying to advocate for union members and in the working class more broadly? And I think, well, that's really the reason why, because we are here to support the working class. We think organizing in unions is certainly the first and foremost way we can do that. Uh, But we are all subjects of of a government. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are all impacted by what this government does. And, uh, you know, certainly when you look at the balance of power in this society, especially for the past four decades or so, we've seen the power of working class people to shape the government has certainly declined tremendously. Right. Uh, and the representation of working people in government has declined while the representation of our bosses and their allies has certainly increased. So I think that's where the connection lies. And I know that may sound uh, obvious for some folks, but it's not for others. Uh, and there are folks who are very much kind of bread and butter Let's talk about unions. Let's talk about our wages and benefits. But they are connected. And I I just felt it was important to to say that out front before we get started with Dylan. Yeah, yeah, they are. So so, um, I I appreciate that, Adam. And uh, Dylan, thank you for coming on. He is the Dylan Nettles is the policy and advocacy director of the Alabama ACLU. Uh, Dylan, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Much for having me. So the Alabama ACLU is tracking several bills that are going through the current legislative session. Um, The session will have begun two weeks ago on Tuesday, January the 25th, and it ends on April 25th, 2022. So uh, this is going to be an ongoing thing that we'll be updating the audience on as we go through the session. Um, I want to talk to you about the Habitual Felony Offender Act, but first, can you tell us, as the session is now about a week and a half old, can you tell us if there has been any notable action taken so far in the session? Oh, great question. 
session. This has already been a, an interesting start to uh, the 2022 regular session. So uh, the legislature did convene on January 11th, uh, which, as you mentioned, about two weeks ago. And almost immediately, uh, we started hearing reports from legislative leadership that uh, there was going to be a special session put on the table. Uh, some of your listeners may be aware of this, but uh, as a part of the American Rescue Plan, the state is going to be allocated ultimately more than a billion dollars in funds. I think it's a, around 1.5 billion ultimately, right? Uh, the state had received last year already a portion of those funds. They'll receive later this year uh, of somewhere around the seven to $800 million mark uh, of the funds. And this governor has determined that there'll be a special session which started this week to allocate some of the remainder of those funds. And so we came in for a regular session, ball started kind of rolling, and then things have actually kind of gone on pause as the special session has now started. Um, and we expect for that to be wrapped up by February and for a regular session to resume. Uh, and so uh, some of these topics we'll be talking about today won't really see much activity until we get on the other side of the special session. Interesting. Okay, so I I misunderstood that announcement then, I think, when I heard that there was going to be a special session. um, I had assumed that the special session would be after the regular session, but the special session is just interrupting the regular session then. Yeah, basically we're on pause for the regular session, and it will resume after the special session concludes. I see. I see. So is the regular <laughs> session going to be extended because of the interruption uh, by the special session? So now we're getting into some tricky legislative procedure. But what I can tell you is constitutionally, Alabama's legislature can convene for up to 30 legislative days within the course of 105 calendar days. And so uh, when the special session started, that counts towards those 30 legislative days when effectively on pause. Uh, and the special session day count began. Uh, and so it won't necessarily be extended per se. We are not at this point actually counting days or checking days off in the regular session. But because it can extend over 105 day period, then yes, essentially it could go past that April date that you originally shared um, before it concludes. Okay. Gotcha. Well, I, I appreciate that clarification then. So uh, let's talk about the Habitual Felony Offender Act. The ACLU is pushing for its repeal, but first, can you tell us what it does? Uh, what are the effects that this law has on working people in Alabama right now? Absolutely. So I'm going to put this in really simple terms because I know the Habitual Felony Offender Act gets oftentimes bogged down in all of this illegal, I think, minutia that's really hard for people uh, to just kind of comprehend. I know it is even for me. Uh, the truth is, is that essentially what uh, repeal, which is exa- exactly what we're advocating for, repeal of the Habitual Felony Offender Act would do uh, in Representative England's bill, HB 57, is to give uh, judiciary discretion back to the judges who originally sentenced folks for uh, you know, their habitual felony offender convicting offense uh, to, you know, whatever charge that may have been, whatever, you know, they convict, they were convicted of. The judge gets an opportunity to take a second look, essentially, at that person after they have already said, uh, served a lengthy sentence and say, maybe it's time to reconsider this sentence. Maybe it's time to reduce mm-hmm. it or give them time served, right? 
uh, because they've had a spotless record while they've been incarcerated, or I see they've been involved in some programming, or frankly, our attitude towards maybe certainly certain offenses or our understanding of why those offenses they have occurred have changed over the years. And so now a judge may be a little bit more lenient about that, or they may have, re they may be reconsidering why they would, you know, have charged or uh, given someone in a sentence for a certain charge years and years ago, right? And so they're saying, okay, let's give this a second look uh, and make a decision based off of what we're seeing. And again, that would be a judge's decision. It wouldn't be us, it wouldn't be the parole board, it wouldn't be um, state legislators. It would be a judge's decision to be able to take a look back at that person's case and give them effectively a second chance. And that's what, if, if we repealed it, um, if we repealed it, then the judge would be able to give somebody a second chance. Exactly. exactly. Now, currently what we're seeing happening is uh, people are being sentenced to lengthy sentences. The Habitual Felony Offender Act is essentially a three-strikes law, but it is outsized from any other three-strikes laws that we see across the country. And so when this went into effect in the late 70s, we saw almost immediately an increase in the Alabama prison population, Right. People were being sentenced to uh, harsher penalties, which means that it was going to be a lot harder for them to ever get out, to get out if they ever do. Um, and so uh, with less people coming out and staying longer, uh, then that population, of course, began to, to boom. And actually today, what we know is that most of the people sentenced under habitual felony offender law are over the age of 50, and three out of four of those people are also Black. And so uh, it also, of course, is disproportionately impacting a certain racial demographic, but also what we know is people who are over the age of 50 have really aged out of the demographic who is most likely to convict or commit, excuse me, uh, any criminal activity or even return to criminal activity. Um, and so it's not even particularly logical from a public safety standpoint, but it's certainly not helping the deep issues that we also have with our overcrowded prisons. Gotcha. Gotcha. Dylan, we are going to go to a break. We're having some issues with an echo on the radio. So uh, let's go ahead and go to a break really quick and see if we can figure out what is going on. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. They have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and they secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about their work advocating for customers and to join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. 
the attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the Southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855-617-9333. Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855-617-9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. All right, welcome back. Maybe we fixed the technical issues. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Um, <laughs> thanks for hanging out with us, Dylan, over the break. I appreciate it. So, um, Dylan, uh, has anybody sponsored a bill to repeal the Habitual Felony Offender Act yet? Yes. So, Representative Chris England has sponsored HB 57. Uh, which he is a bill actually he, he originally introduced us, I'm not mistaken, last year. Um, and it was uh, last year actually voted and passed through the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, and so there is some interest from lawmakers in this legislation. Of course, it wouldn't have gotten out of committee without bipartisan support. Uh, and so we're ex- excited about it returning this year. It hasn't you know, had any action, of course, yet, as I mentioned, the ledge is a, a, you know, slightly on pause in some ways for its regular session activity, but we expect that it will be back up as the session resumes in February, and we're excited to see where it gets. That's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you have high hopes for, um, for its passage. That's really good to hear. Uh, what about... Um, Voting rights, that's another issue that y'all are tracking very closely, specifically voting rights restoration. Can you talk to us about that? Absolutely. So uh, the ACLU of Alabama has been really excited to work with partners from all across the state on this issue. Uh, about two years ago, we started getting together with other organizations and actually formed a statewide coalition called the Alabama Voting Rights Coalition. And one of the top priorities of that coalition, which and really diverse, includes a number of grassroots and statewide organizations uh, that are already deep in the work of getting out people to vote and making sure people are educated about their voting rights, right? 
And so uh, we got together and started thinking about our priorities and right frustration for people with felony convictions was high among those. Um, I think that everyone knows right now voting rights is a part of the national conversation and the attack on voting rights is something that we're absolutely defending. But the truth is, is that voter access has been long limited here in the state of Alabama, right? This has been a part of, unfortunately, our history and our tradition in this state is suppressing the right to vote. And that is absolutely the case here. Uh, we know that essentially what determines your right to vote in this state is your uh, race, your financial status, and your criminal history or uh, history of convictions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so many people, especially when you conflate all of those things here in Alabama, are not even eligible to register to vote uh, because they could be Black, uh, indigent and uh, have a criminal history. And so what we are advocating for, and there's two bills that have been introduced to do just this and to fact ease that process for people to be able to get their voting rights restored and to frankly not have to be bogged down with all of these financial penalties that we don't think should have anything to do with someone's ability to be able to show up and vote. Right. So that is, that's a, a big issue across the United States, having to pay for your right to vote. what? So first off, what are some of the criminal convictions that actually can make somebody lose their right to vote even after they get out of prison? Um, you know, in, in Alabama, you can't vote while you're in prison, um, but uh, there are some crimes that even after you get out of prison, you've served your time, you still can't vote. What What are some of the things that will keep people from voting? Actually, it's quite a wide range. And so what I should say is there are penalties that are disqualifying forever. They, but you still cannot get your rights restored. And those are a lot of class A felonies. Those are what often people, uh, often people refer to as crimes of physical injury or uh, crimes of violence, right? Uh, those mm. are your murder, uh, your uh, you know, assault, things like that, right? But there's also assault is a pretty assault is a pretty big. Ca I mean, I know somebody that his that that was convicted of felony assault, and like he was a super nice guy. Like he just like he beat the crap out of somebody because <laughs> they hurt someone that uh, that that like he cared about, and and so he went to prison and and he has a felony assault charge on his record. Uh, you know, I mean that's a like assault is is a is a, a pretty you know. A lot can be encompassed in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that is one of those offenses that, again, those can be, and we are getting into first degree and second degree. Some of these things change when we get into some of the minutia, right? But uh, assault in the first degree, you know, murder, rape, some of these are going to be disqualifying uh, until such time that they decide that those are also crimes of moral turpitude. But the crimes of moral turpitude are actually a list of things like drug convictions and property theft that are disqualifying. But right now in the state, if you were to be released uh, from prison and have those disqualifying or excuse me, those crimes of moral turpitude, you would go through what is a strenuous process, but you could uh, start the process to get your voting rights restored. But you would have to go contact the Board of Pardons and Paroles, seek a third application is what we call it, a certificate of eligibility, get that returned to you, fill it out, hope that you, in fact, don't have one of those completely ineligible convictions, wait 44 days 
for the Pardons and Paroles Board to respond to you, hoping once again that they actually are approving it. And then that's all before you even gotten registered to vote, got your voter ID, and gone out and gotten your information about where you've got to go vote and show up to at the polls. Um, and so it is possible, right? Uh, we have those crimes of moral turpitude, which were passed in 2017 that says, that, yes, people in Alabama with some of these felony convictions can ultimately get their rights restored, but they've got to do all of this. Oh, and by the way, if you've got any restitution or fines and fees on your record, they're going to kick it out. They're not going to restore your right to vote, and you've got to pay that back before they do. Yeah. Hey, hey, Jacob, I wanted to jump in here real quick because I've I've looked at some of the resources ACLU has available for folks. If you are trying to assist people in your community to get their voting rights restored, uh, ACLU does have resources to, to help you and, and that potential voter do that. But uh, he's not exaggerating about yeah. about how crazy the paperwork and, and just all the hoops you have to jump through. Um, you know, it's one of those where, yeah, technically on paper you can do it, but practically speaking, you know, right. how many people actually ever make it to that finish line? And I, I'm really glad uh, that y'all are bringing this part of the voting rights conversation up because, you know, a lot of attention, I think, is is focused on voter ID laws, um, polling place locations, things mm-hmm. like that, which are absolutely important and do make differences. Uh, but when you're talking about a country with the highest incarceration rate on planet Earth right. and a state in Alabama, which has, you know, one of Higher the highest, the national average, right, yeah. one of the highest, you know, so we literally put more people in cages in the state of Alabama than almost anywhere else. I mean, we have more people in prison than the Soviet d- Union did uh, with the gulags. You know, I mean, during like, the height of, of yeah, during Stalin the height. Era. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, y- you know. So, and of course, I don't think that people, I don't think that conservatives who love the this law and order rhetoric would say that uh, American citizens are worse than the commies <laughs> in Russia, <laughs> but, but uh, uh, you know, our system treats them like that. So, you know, you, you talked about what some of the things that they can get their right to vote revoked and some of the hoops that they have to jump through to get it back if they can get it back. And you said that there is a bill that has been uh, sponsored, that has been filed to uh, fix some of these issues. What does that bill do? So there's actually two, which is really exciting. There's a House version and a Senate version, and those are HB 53 and SB 6, which are sponsored by Representative Laura Hall and Senator Coleman Madison, respect, uh, respectively. And um, those bills ease this process and remove a lot of those barriers, I've got to tell you. They essentially are saying, we believe that once you complete your Senate, complete your probation or parole, if that is also a requirement, then you shouldn't even have to go and seek out that third application. There should be an automated streamlined process that gets it to you, right? You should already know uh, that, oh, I got a third application. I've got uh, the ability to get my rights restored, right? I don't have a disqualifying offense. And so that means that I'm eligible um, and be able to walk through that process, right? And there'll be actual resources in place for people to be able to get that application filled out. And then all they got to do is return it. Uh, and they should be able to, you know, be returned with, say, a voter, a, then a voter registration application. Um, right now, people are all on their own. And so what mm. Senator Coleman Madison and Representative Hall are, are doing is saying, let's remove all of those barriers 
Oh, and also let's not make sure that paying these costs back is a requirement to be able to exercise your right to vote. And so they've got also some provisions in their bills that would allow people to work through a plan ultimately to perhaps pay those fines and fees back uh, without having it be completed first before they're able to do so. Uh, they've also got an opportunity for you to do things like community service to kind of give you some credit back towards those penalties. Uh, and so I think, you know, these are two really great bills that they've worked really hard with a lot of folks from across the state, people who are being directly impacted by this. And so mm -hmm. we're excited to see where these go and what conversations they start. It won't be an easy road, but it will be an right. important uh, conversation that we need to start now. Yeah, well, that that was going to be my next question was its pros prospect for passage, because, you know, people that uh, people that maybe don't follow state politics very closely those two legislators that you named are democrats and uh we um the the state legislature is controlled by a republican supermajority. so um you said that it was going to be a tough road uh has there been any republican interest in these two bills so far Oh, you actually, Senator Coleman Madison has uh, toyed with this topic for the last few years. And she's on the Senate Judiciary Committee, and she's been able to get some version of this actually out of committee in the past. Now, what we're actually doing is coming back and saying we actually think we do need to go a bit further from the versions that we've seen in the past. They still did require far too many, uh, they, they maintained far too many financial barriers, in my opinion. And so we have made some changes and are hoping that those who have supported the bills in the past will still continue to do so. Uh, well, I appreciate the updates, Dylan. There are several other issues that the Alabama ACLU is tracking. Where can people keep up with the work y'all are doing during this legislative session? You can actually visit our website at aclualabama.org, and we have a Bill Watch uh, page there where you can keep up with everything that we're opposing as well as what we're supporting. We've also got some incredible reporting from our investigative reporter, Beth Shulburn, about all of our criminal justice work over at alabamasmartjustice.org. Dylan, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody, uh, thanks for staying with us. We just wrapped up a conversation with Dylan Nettles. He is the Policy and Advocacy Director for the Alabama ACLU about the Habitual Felony Offender Act and voting rights restoration. You can find out more about that and uh, the other issues that the Alabama ACLU is tracking on their website. We will be talking to them and others throughout the legislative session. Um, we were going to be talking next to Felicia Scalzetti, from Hometown Action about some anti-riot legislation. Uh, we talked about that last year a couple of times with Dev Wakely from Alabama Arise, but uh, she is. we're not going to be able to get her today, I don't think, so we will table that conversation um, for another show, but that is something to watch out for. The anti-riot legislation that we talked about last year has been refiled. Um, you can go back and... Uh, watch our coverage of that last year. I don't imagine it's changed a lot, um, but we will be talking about that in a future episode. For now, let's go ahead and talk about last week in Southern Labor. Um, last week in Southern Labor is a segment where every week, every week, we uh, talk about what happened last week 
in the South in the labor movement. We pull the information from Jonah Furman's amazing newsletter, Who Gets the Bird? You can find his newsletter, whogetsthebird.substack.com, which is a summary of what happened last week in the United States in the labor movement. So we pull what happened in the South, we bring it to you on the air, and then you can go and read his newsletter, whogetsthebird.substack.com, for what happened in the rest of U.S. labor Um, So let's go ahead and jump into it. Uh, This week's edition of Who Gets the Bird and Last Week in Southern Labor is in honor of Mike Parker. He is one of the founders of Labor Notes. He passed away last weekend after a lifetime of labor and socialist organizing. And uh, there is no better way to honor his legacy than by reading his iconic book, Democracy is Power which he co-authored and is now available as a free PDF online. We put a link to that PDF in the description of the show. You should read it. I've read it. It's fantastic. There are lots of really good tips for um, running a union meeting, for being a good union activist, that even as somebody who reads a lot, like there are just some things that that you do something over and over and over and you don't really kind of like question why we do it a certain way, why we do a thing a certain way. And he really, I mean, super minutia, but also in a way that's really accessible and that can be read and it's not heady or difficult to read. Very practical, very very practical, usable kind of resources. And that's, you know, I could say that for labor notes in general, but uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a a loss to uh, have Mike Parker pass away, but he, you know, put out four books with labor notes, I believe. Lots of great material that's out there. And so, you know, want to send our best to his family and really appreciate all the great work he did on behalf of all of us in the labor movement. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, definitely. So uh, go check out Democracy is Power. Democracy is Power is a fantastic, fantastic book. I've read it. I recommend you read it. The free PDF is in the description of the show. In new organizing, 24 more Starbucks workers have officially filed with the NLRB with Workers United, this time in Tallahassee, Florida, and another Starbucks in Memphis, Tennessee, announced their intention to unionize. Uh, the Starbucks that is unionizing in Knoxville, Tennessee, had their first anti-union captive audience meeting where the boss forces their employees to sit through anti-union propaganda at threat of losing their job. Um, And lo and behold, everybody was exposed to COVID through this unnecessary and unsafe meeting, and they had to close the business for about a week. They had to close the business for about a week because of their unnecessary and unsafe uh, staff meetings about how they shouldn't work together. <laughs> uh, 51 public defenders in Jefferson County, Kentucky, uh, that's Louisville and surrounding areas, voted 32 to 5 to join IBEW Local 369. Uh 
No, we don't know why IBEW is organizing public defenders, but <laughs> but very happy, very happy to see that. Seven engineers for Volunteer Energy Cooperative in Decatur, Tennessee, voted five to two to join IBEW Local 175. And in Bessemer, Alabama, ballots will mail to Amazon warehouse workers to vote on whether or not to join the RWDSU almost exactly one year after the last time ballots were mailed out. One big difference is that statistically speaking, since Amazon enjoys a 150% annual turnover, this will be virtually an entirely new set of workers voting. In strikes and bargaining, while the Warrior Met strike in Brookwood, Alabama itself remains at its familiar stalemate, Senators Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Tammy Baldwin wrote a letter to the CEO of BlackRock the massive financial firm that owns 13% of Warrior Met stock, to publicly demand the company negotiate with the UMWA while the Warrior Met strike in Brookwood, Alabama. Uh, uh, yeah, so they sent that letter. Um, to And, and <laughs> I mean, the CEO of BlackRock, he had the gall to say that uh, something about workers need to like work with their employees otherwise it's not going to work while he owns 13% of a company that is allowing a strike to go on for almost a year. I mean, good grief. Steelworkers Local 40 and Special Metals, who employ about 450 union members minus the 75 that they just gave permanent layoffs to, are back at the negotiating table with a new offer from the company that the bargaining team has already rejected but that the company is dubbing an open proposal. Not sure what that means. In honor of Martin Luther King Day, the Teamsters have released a new survey of Republic sanitation workers highlighting the racial and gender discrimination workers experience on the job. Obviously, that is apt not only because King's last campaign was to support striking Memphis sanitation workers, but because hundreds of Republic sanitation workers are currently on strike and hundreds of sanitation workers in Georgia are currently unionizing with the Teamsters. Durham, North Carolina school bus drivers walked off the job in protest of last pay- of late paychecks last week and 17,000 Railroad workers at Warren Buffett-owned BNSF with two unions, Smart TD and uh, BLET, uh, which is a Teamsters affiliate, have taken the first steps towards striking the railroad over its new attendance policy, which will effectively give workers one day off per month. While that's a huge number of workers and would, of course, have a massive economic impact, especially with the supply chain issues that we've been having, uh, since they are under the Railway Labor Act, a strike authorization is not the only hurdle. Plus, the move so far has been uh, just to initiate the process of taking a strike authorization vote. But nonetheless, this is something to watch closely. In a similar strike watch... Uh, in similar strike watch news, UAW Local 2164 in Bowling Green, Kentucky, who represent workers at the Corvette Auto Plant, have overwhelmingly, as in 98%, rejected a local contract offer and are talking strike. They are talking strike after rejecting an offer by 98%. 
and another big number of industrial workers news, talks between the steelworkers and an umbrella of employers with the lead negotiating company being Marathon, covering 30,000 refinery workers, began this week. The contract expires on February the 1st, and it is difficult to know what to expect. Uh, the only speculation that Jonah offers is that refinery employers have been going for the throat in 2021 with big lockouts at Marathon and Exxon, and there is no reason to think that they will not continue with that extremely aggressive strategy at the bargaining table. In other Steelworkers news, Steelworkers Local 8888 has reinitiated contract talks after members rejected an offer from Huntington Ingalls, the company that runs Newport News Virginia Shipyard. The local has openly hinted at a strike, but nothing has been authorized. And on the issue of strikes that are kind of coming to a close, one that we did not talk about much here on the show because it's been focused out west in Colorado, uh, but there has been a strike of Kroger's employees. Mm-hmm. Um, and last 8,000 la- workers. Yeah, last I saw, that uh, may be coming to a resolution uh, as soon as Monday. Uh, about 8,000 workers at Kroger and what they call King Supers, which I guess is another mm-hmm. grocery store similar to Kroger. Um, so I'm reading that the company and the union have reached a tentative agreement. So mm-hmm. we'll see if that gets ratified or not. But just wanted to put that out there. I know uh, Dallas in the YouTube chat brought that up. Uh, appreciate right, the reminder. Right. And um, something I thought that was interesting is that uh, the New York Times – did not cover that strike, <laughs> not once, throughout the nine days right. and the 8,000 workers. But they did publish 26 separate articles about a rich tennis player being inconvenienced by Australia's of vaccine course. rules. So uh, shout out to Adam Johnson of the very great Citations Needed podcast uh, for doing the math there on the New York Times, mm-hmm. uh, which, if I'm not mistaken, kind of uh, covered a story that we already covered. Isn't that right, Jacob, about Knoxville? Yes, they uh, did. Starbucks they did. Organizing. They interviewed Maggie Carter for a profile of the Starbucks workers organizing a week after we did it. So, so uh, yeah, you're welcome the, for the tip. <laughs> right. New York Times. Watch the Valley Labor Report to see what will be in the New York Times next week. Uh, that's the <laughs> that's the thing there. But but regarding the Kroger strike in California or in Colorado, somebody in the YouTube chat mentioned that they got a judge to stop them from protesting in front of the stores. That there was an injunction that limited picketing to like 10 people, which yeah. is tactic that we've seen at the John Deere strike in the Warrior Met strike in Alabama of course and um, that's what yeah it reminded me of what's happened right. in Brookwood uh, and it, multiple strikers have been attacked by paintball guns and we've seen the violence against striking workers here in Alabama as well so we will be um, I'm actually going to be trying to reach out to Ahmad White he is an academic who has done a lot of work on the use of the law to prohibit mass picketing and, uh, and and strike actions, because this is a tactic that's being used over and over and over again, and so I think it would be good for some historical context. Um, in politics, the Supreme Court struck down Joe Biden's vaccine or test mandate for private employers with over 100 workers, but kept his mandate for healthcare workers at facilities which receive federal funds. <clears throat> More than 6,000 GM workers in Celayo, Guanajuato, Mexico 
in a, in a place in Mexico at one of GM's most profitable plants, and it's in Mexico, and you think that's not the South. How can you get more South than Mexico? You can't. Well, uh, you can go to Guatemala. <laughs> uh, right, right. <laughs> um, but uh, um, but th- this is definitely going to affect workers in the United States and in the South, so I wanted to talk about it. Um, more than 6,000 GM workers at a plant in Mexico, one of GM's most profitable plants, will be voting on February 1 and 2 on a new union to represent them after they voted to abandon their existing contract in August. The initiative is being driven by auto workers organizing against the entrenched um, and corrupt and company and protection union that's part of uh, a very big politically influential Mexican labor federation. Um, And it comes in the wake of new domestic labor law requiring the right to vote on union contracts and to legitimate all existing contracts by 2023, under the assumption that many of these are not actually legitimate union contracts that workers approve of, which is the correct assumption in Mexico. After a tampered vote in April of last year, the U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai intervened under the labor provisions of the new USMCA, and in a vote last August, the contract was rejected. So, uh, thanks to the intervention of, uh, of that U.S. trade representative under the USMCA, the workers were able to actually have their voices heard, so that's very good. Now, a new independent auto workers union is on the ballot to be an actually representative union uh, that will be able to bargain legitimate contracts with GM. The upshot is that this could be a huge development for independent unionism in Mexico and with all of the obvious ramifications uh, for runaway manufacturing and other shops in the U.S. So, Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, send all solidarity and best wishes to those workers in Mexico. They deserve a real union, not a fake company right. union. Uh, and, and I believe and, and I think it's going to be demonstrated that the more workers there in Mexico can organize and represent themselves effectively, the better it is for all of us involved, including workers for GM here in North America. Definitely. The rest of North America. I think it's it's all tied together. And as long as GM and other corporations can take advantage of what is essentially fake unions mm-hmm. uh, who hold monopolies in these areas of Mexico, they're right. going to keep doing that. Right. Uh, so I actually uh, saw where Dan DiMaggio of Labor Notes was getting the word out. They were seeking some uh, international observers. So, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully some cool. good uh, union activists here in the United States will be able to make the quick trip down there and uh, do some observing to make sure there is a fair uh, real vote there. So best wishes to those workers in Mexico. Yeah. Absolutely. And finally, in what would be a huge story for U.S. labor's internal politics, Sarah Nelson, um, AFL-CIO presidential uh, run rumors have bubbled back up to the surface. There are rumors that are bubbling back up about Sarah Nelson running for the presidency of the national AFL-CIO. And uh, not sure if this is new material or just revisiting the rumor mill that started a few years back, but if she is mounting a run, time is short as the convention is set for June. Um, so the last story, I think this is probably going to be the last thing that we talk about today. Oh, really quickly before we go to that, though, um, there was a... Last night, I received a text message. So if anybody has any information on this, 
uh, get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you. But last night we received a text message um, asking, have you heard anything about a concerted Walmart employee walkout in Huntsville tonight? Uh, This person had just went to two different Walmarts in Huntsville, and both of them were shut down about 8 p.m., and the reason the person at the door gave was that there are not any workers. So, not sure, uh, not sure what's going on there. But um, this may be an issue. Uh, uh, you know, something that we've been seeing, like like having those notes on the doors, where <laughs> like everybody walked out. So we'd love, uh, we'd love more information on that if anybody has. Yeah, that. absolutely. If you're aware of any organizing along those lines happening, especially in North Alabama. Please share that with us. Let us know anything we can do to, you know, support the effort or simply publicize the effort. And, you know, I'm curious to know how much of it is in this case, you know, is there organizing going around or is it, uh, you know, simply the numbers? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Is it some combination of just disaffected people acting individually combined with people on quarantine? Because. Those of you local probably know that many of our school districts have had to shift back into virtual learning temporarily. And this isn't because of, you know, any demands being made by educators necessarily. It's simply because they don't have the staff. Um, You know, at a certain point, you have enough people on quarantine. You're not going to have enough adults to supervise Mm -hmm. the children in the building. And, um, you know, of course, there are ways to address that such as i don't know pay them better yeah uh try to prevent people getting the virus you know there's there's certainly things that can be done before we get to that point but uh you know as you know most of alabama has given up if they (laughs) if they were ever trying uh in terms of this virus so yeah it's 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 hard sometimes to parse out right now when you're seeing closed shops and uh you know long lines and how much of it is directly from covid how much of it is directly from organizing uh, among the workforce and just some you know in between there so if you hear of any stories locally definitely let us know definitely uh so how we should probably not play a clip right uh, considering the technical yeah. issues we had this morning trying That'll to get fine. our clips working, <clears throat> I, I say we just uh, So, in, in other stories that. then, uh, to be wary of locally, many companies are fighting the labor shortage, this ties in really, really neatly, uh, not by raising wages um, or giving workers better benefits or better working conditions, but by lying to workers about the compensation that they can expect to receive. Owen Higgins reported for More Perfect Union that companies are advertising high salaries like $15, 16 $18, $20 an hour to get people to apply and then offering them a job at a lower rate after they actually submit an application. And he said that... Uh, I mean that that's basically what happens is that that they um you know workers will see an advertised rate of pay and they'll apply for the job and uh the listing will say oh you'll be doing xyz whatever these responsibilities and the person will apply and they'll say okay well you don't have the experience that we want for this position so we're going to offer you this 
lower, worse paid position, or we're just not going to pay you what we said in the advertisement. Yeah, um, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, I mean, and it, I think that's the you know the right. double standard uh, that we've seen so much between capital and labor, and you know that balance of power we were talking about earlier. Companies feel emboldened to lie to people, mm-hmm. to potential workers and applicants. They feel emboldened to get away with that. But now you, as a potential employee, you are told you must be 100% honest on your application, 100% honest on your resume. Don't you fluff it. Uh, Don't make up fake references. You must be 100% above board or, you know, you're in trouble. Of course. (laughs) And and you can can watch the video on More Perfect Union's Twitter page and read the report in Owen's newsletter, both of which are linked in the show notes. Um, but of course, this puts workers in a precarious position. For I mean, for one, I mean, lying and misrepresenting and false advertising is just like, that's bad. It's bad to do that to people. Not but, cool. But it, it puts workers in a precarious position because many poor and working people, as folks who... Um, who, who live paycheck to paycheck, if they put in a resume at a place, if they apply for a job at a place, and then they go and they, and they get an interview, maybe they're spending this time preparing for that interview and not looking for other jobs. And then when they get into the interview and they say, okay, well, we'd like to hire you, but we only want to pay you $8 an hour, $9 an hour, $10 an hour, instead of uh, $15, $16, $17 an hour like we promised you, uh, that really i mean just on the just on the fact that you have taken this person's time right opportunity wa- cost yeah you've wasted their time time that could have been spent uh doing other things or, or you know looking for another job or just laying on the couch but you know i mean because it would have been the same it would have been worth the same amount of money um and also, of course, many uh, there are many like unemployment benefits that are tied to uh, uh, looking for a job. And so, if you turn down a job, then you can be kicked off the unemployment. You're, uh, and, and and so, obviously, if you have a person that is at a certain, you know, like if I were to need to look for a different job, I would go on unemployment and. You know, people aren't going to, you know, you shouldn't have to take literally the first thing that comes your way. You should be able to take a job that fits you. You should be able to, ha- uh, that, that pays well, that should be, a, 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 and you should have a little bit of leverage in these sorts of negotiations. But what the companies are doing is that, okay, well, if you put your application in with us and you don't accept the job, then you're going to lose your unemployment and and you're going to so you have to take the job. So not only are you losing this opportunity cost and then once you take the job you're working for them full time. When are you going to look for other jobs? You've been stuck. You have been trapped in a low wage presumably, I don't know, service sector job. That's what a lot of these a lot of these companies were like Staples and McDonald's were two of the biggest offenders. You're stuck at these low wage dead end jobs um not because, of course, the labor that the people who work at Staples and McDonald's do, 
not because their labor is worthless or because they are worthless as people, but because the companies have chosen to pay them less and because they have the power to pay them less and the workers do not have the power to refuse the work or to uh, uh, bargain collectively. But you're stuck then. You're stuck at this job uh, instead of being able to find a better job that fits you better, that pays you more. Uh, now you're stuck at this job again, still living paycheck to paycheck. You can't quit because you won't have unemployment insurance and you don't have time to look for another job or you have uh, very little time to look for another job. And so it's just, it's really, I mean, it puts working people, poor people in a very precarious position. And it's something that folks need to look out for. Uh, It's something that you need to be very wary of. If you are out there looking for a job, um, be wary and, and take precautions uh, because this is something that could happen to you. Yeah, I think it's important anytime you're you're in getting yourself ready for a new job or certainly at a new employer, but even at an existing employer and, and you're maybe taking a transfer or a so-called promotion, anything you can get in writing, please do it uh, because right. it is certainly not unusual for you to be misled about wages and about benefits, about scheduling and the hours you can expect. Um, I think any of us who've worked in service sector jobs know that uh, if you're promised a ton of hours and that's how they get you to agree, then you're probably not going to get them. Uh, likewise, if you're promised, oh, don't worry, this will just be a part-time thing, you can still work around your family obligations or your other job or your school. Uh, inevitably, that's when they want you to work right. you know, six, seven days a week. Right. So uh, it's definitely something that happens. And, and I think the cyclical part of it is is certainly something that resonates. If you've ever lived paycheck to paycheck and and it's very hard to get out of the cycle of just scraping by yeah you're just trying to make it through each day each week you know each month with your bills paid and it's so hard to just scrape by and take care of that that you know it's hard to have the time and the physical energy and mental capacity to get out of it right right yeah I, and and I, I mean the being poor is expensive. <laughs> it is. And it's, it's I, I hard mean, to break out of. Yeah. You know, I mean. And that's not just, you know, anecdotal experience. I mean, obviously, if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about and you feel it. But it is a statistical proven fact about social mobility in this country. Once you're poor, you're unlikely to not be poor. Right. And, and if you were born wealthy, chances are you're going to die wealthy. Yep. Um, you know, so that's that's America. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and, and the best way to I mean, you know, like w- w- we come to it all the time, but the best way and, and, and the way that, that Starbucks workers, uh, among others, are finding is to organize a union. I mean, there was a there was a tweet. Um, if we're going to sink or swim together, then yeah. let's try to swim together. Right. Right. Yeah. There was a tweet about this um, that 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 showed this person who just unionized with the IBEW and they signed a con- and their and their employer, this construction contractor, signed a contract with IBEW and they got like a one hundred and fifty percent raise immediately. Immediately, like they went from making seventeen dollars an hour to thirty something dollars an hour, uh, and and you know so this is that's the power that. Uh, 
a union can give you and that's the power of and and it's not like magical it's because uh you get more power when you come together as a collective uh so folks if you're listening on the radio you may have heard some issues with the audio the echoes you can go back and listen to the full show on youtube or on wherever you get your podcasts just search for the Valley Labor Report, and you can hear uh, the full show. And every show that we do every week is going to be on the internet as well. And uh, so, with that, we will see you next week. Except for if you're still here, don't go. Don't go if you're if you're on the internet because we're still here. We're going into overtime. We're crazy crazy so um uh adam had actually mentioned to me that um that that he <laughs> that he needed to go he was gonna have to go right after we get get off the air uh he was gonna have to go right off the air and i was like oh okay so no time for overtime then today right we don't want to do that today and he was like no probably not and i was like okay well um that's fine i had been i had been one i, I had been thinking about looking at some of the comments from <laughs> from our recent video and reading some of them and, and and responding to them because they've been pretty funny but um and and he was like oh oh that sounds like fun i want to do that i can stay for a little bit <laughs> we can yeah i mean i can stay for a couple of minutes let's, let's see what they're talking about yeah. uh, those yeah. of you who know me you may realize that uh, i've been very off the grid uh, aside from this radio show, I try to stay off social media and kind of uh, I have taken a step back from public life, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, it's always uh, interesting and disturbing and fascinating to hear <laughs> the discourse, quote unquote, on the Internet. Right, right. So the the background is that we talked about last week, Jimmy Dore. Uh, last week, we talked about Jimmy Dore attacking the Chicago Teachers Union for uh, democratically voting to uh, shift to remote work during the largest wave of the pandemic where hospitalizations are nearing a record high. I think actually, was it, I think maybe today or yesterday we actually hit record deaths. We're skyrocketed past record cases. We're coming up on record deaths if we haven't hit it already. And the Chicago Teachers Union said um, the demands, that the things, the COVID safety measures that we have been fighting for this entire pandemic, some of them have still not been implemented. And because this is an emergency, we want to shift to remote learning temporarily until some of these things get worked out. And so they did, and, and they worked some of them out, and they didn't get everything that they wanted, but they got some of the things that they wanted. And the Chicago public school system locked them out they cared so much about their students learning that they that they locked the teachers out of the equipment that they needed to conduct remote learning so they care so much about their students learning that they didn't allow them to learn at home despite having invested tens of millions of dollars in everybody having the equipment needed to learn at home but so. <laughs> hey, but, if, but if it's it the teachers' some, union's fault, right? You know, but if it got some parents pissed off at the teachers as opposed to the district and the city, then they accomplished what they were trying to accomplish. And that's exactly and driving the wedge right. between 
uh, parents, students, and educators, and the broader community. And that's exactly what Jimmy Dore contributed to. Jimmy Dore, he sometimes he identifies as a progressive, but mostly he identifies as anti-establishment anti-establishment he hates msnbc he hates joe biden he hates jen Psaki, and you know whatever fine i don't care that's fine i don't you know i don't care i mean uh, hate's but, a strong word but otherwise you know yeah, i'm right. vibing with that yeah that's fine i try uh, not but, to, to pay much attention to him but you know i could i'm also opposed to those people but on entities. this issue He sided with all these people that he hates and says exactly the same thing, like talking about the this misinformation about how Omicron is so mild that you should just deal with it and you should work while you're infected. Uh, I mean, we explain we've talked to we've talked to an epidemiologist about this. There is room for hope. But we're not there yet. We're still, this is still a pandemic. This is still, uh, thousands of people are dying every day. This is not a cold yet. Hopefully it will be with some of the future variants, but it's not yet. And he's acting like it is. And he's acting like we should just go about like everything's normal. So, um, so we talked about that and we clipped that. We clipped that and, and put it up on our YouTube channel. And uh, there were some people like, it was... <laughs> Like uh, uh, 40% of the people who reacted to it disliked it. And that's even with YouTube not showing. Like YouTube has, has like, they, they've done this thing where you can see how many people like a thing, but you can't see how many people dislike a thing. So there's actually less incentive to dislike it because they can't see, no one can see that you dislike it except the creator. But I saw it and it's like 40% of the people disliked it. So there were lots of, we got... <laughs> We, uh, you know, I'm I'm confused because it seems as if this guy, and it certainly is not unique to just Door, but you know, he's one of the figures that comes up a lot. But it seems like the folks like him have this fan club, right? Right. And something I, we've touched on it a little bit in this show about how politics has really just been sort of uh, subsumed into entertainment and spectacle and consumption. And really, when most people talk politics, that's really what they're talking about. Right, right. Uh, which is why, you know, we try to discuss and propose an alternative, which is labor organizing. That's real right. world. When I get more money in my pocket yeah. or when I, you know, fight to get my coworkers back pay, that's real world material politics, not, you know, celebrity crushes uh, on Twitter, which... right seems to constitute most of the political discourse in this country. Yeah, so here's one that I thought was particularly rich, given your background. Um, Hashtag action for Assange was the username, which that's fine. I like, I think, I think that Julian Assange is being wrongly persecuted. Um, Jimmy's wife is a former public school educator, so he's in a unique position to know more about the education professions and their unions than most people in the United States. Well, Adam, I mean, his wife is a is a former teacher. Well, my wife so. is a current teacher, so I win. <laughs> I also have an active teaching license, and I have taught uh, in multiple schools. No, 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 no. And but I worked Adam, no, for a supposed union, a education association. <laughs> They're not a real union. Don't call them that. They get offended. Uh, so I guess no, Adam, I win no, the contest. Adam, no, no, Adam, no. You are you are a former 
school teacher, you're a former union staffer, but but look, but Jimmy's wife is a former teacher. So really who knows more about teachers and their unions? I mean, when you yeah. think about it. Yeah. When you think about it. Um <laughs> and um so uh you know, and they <laughs> the, uh, somebody else said that uh, uh it was very clickbait and that we should um Maybe instead focus on the powers that be not having proper testing in place, et cetera, and that we should punch up Almost instead. like the Chicago Teachers Union yeah. we're trying to Man, do. Man, almost like, I mean, it's like, and so this guy, Cheddar Mountain, is his username. Did he even, like, watch the thing? That's like, what? <laughs> That's what they wanted. That's what the Chicago Teachers Union was fighting for. That's what Jimmy Dore attacked them for fighting for and he was on the side in this argument of the people fighting against the people fighting for proper testing i mean it's like i literally i don't think this guy watched it he can't have watched it he he can't have watched it um (laughs) i told him to tell jimmy that because he's the one that chose to side with biden and msnbc and Lori lightfoot and the republicans and he said that um I don't need to tell Jimmy anything. He gets most stuff pretty okay. But what he doesn't do is blame other YouTubers for the funky situation we are in. He blames the man and corporate interests. You're young and lefty, and that's okay. You'll grow up someday and realize that uniting to fight the power is a good thing. What? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not really following there. Um it's like, like I, I just want to state for the record, I'm like, not going to speak for you, Jacob, but I can speak for me that I certainly uh, talk a lot about power. And I recognize <laughs> the relative power that YouTubers have in our society. Right. Um, yeah. Our, uh, our, I, I'm not going to blame Jimmy Dore for the actions of Lori Lightfoot and the Biden administration or the Koch brothers and the you know billionaires who have financed a very sophisticated school privatization attack right yeah our clip we when we talked about it we obviously did not imply that jimmy Dore is the ceo of the chicago public schools we implied that he was standing on the side of power attacking teachers for fighting the power right right and that and that's the concern if you're gonna be uh you know ostensibly for the people against the establishment this is a good test of where you really stand on that. And, you know, I think there's, unfortunately, a lot of folks out there just grifting. Yeah. Just, and, and I'm not saying that's him because I don't know enough about him. Uh, again, I, I, I stay offline uh, compared to a lot of people. Right. I, I'm not as interested in these, these kinds of things. And, and they're, you know, so sometimes our, our listeners on YouTube and, and uh, elsewhere teach me things about these these folks because right. it's kind of like a niche subculture yeah, yeah. um I, I think left politics and i'm i'm using left very broadly here because it is used very broadly but it does sort of seem like a, a, a niche subculture like uh if back in the day you were into emo music or you know punk or and that is not well that's not really a pathway to building a robust mm working class movement right. um i'm glad that there is now 
media out there kind of catering to that position. I'm glad that there are more uh, folks and you know of prominent, so to speak, that are kind of on our side, uh, theoretically at least. But yeah, it's we we definitely cannot just be an online subculture uh, that is not going to move us forward. And um, yeah, it seems like some people have really unhealthy relationships with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. talking heads on the internet like i don't know are, are mainstream news are people the same way with like mainstream cable news or are there like jake tapper heads who you know if you criticize jake tapper you know they're gonna come storming for you i don't know i, I, I mean maybe there are i i don't know it's just yeah. uh it's very strange this guy then then said that um it's pretty clear that we're a psyop so i don't I, really, uh, I don't listen, know what that means. And then he said, "If I am, no one's paying me, Jack. So Russia, <laughs> FBI, yeah. CIA, whoever is allegedly paying My us to do this late. show, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> the check is late. You know, I, yeah, I don't know who to call. Uh, I don't know who to call Moscow, DC, whoever. Yeah, um, hit me up. Yeah, you probably have my routing number already. I'm guessing. Right, right, right. You know, yeah. so." Yeah, so the, uh, those were some of the comments. There are some more if you want to go uh, take a look at the comment section in the video. It was pretty fun. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I was uh, running around in the comment section replying to some of these people because um, I am... Uh, a glutton for punishment. Glutton for punishment. Um, they uh, Somebody in the chat asked us, why did the teachers' union vote to return to work? Can you update us on that? Um, the They voted to return to work because they felt like they got enough of... They, they felt like they got enough of what they were asking for, and also they... I think they felt... Um, they had gotten about as much as they were going to give. They had felt... Right? Yeah, right, right. And and that... The, the, um, the public support maybe wouldn't be as strong for this action as with other actions, unfortunately, um, because of people like Jimmy Dore, because of people like Jimmy Dore attacking them. And that's why and that's and that's why we made and, and that's why that we wanted to talk about it, because he is one of many people supporting. He was one of many during this episode. People supporting the establishment, the power, the Democratic Party centers of power, Joe Biden, MSNBC, Lori Lightfoot. He was one of many people supporting them and and uh, and attacking the teachers union and turning the public against the teachers union. And so that's why we talked about it. We didn't talk about it because we think that Joe uh, that, that, that Jimmy Dore is the mayor of Chicago. We talked about it because in our role as people who have a certain you know we're on the radio in alabama um to the extent that that means anything uh and to the extent that our our podcast and our youtube show means anything uh then our job is as um is a is a media thing and so we were doing a media critique about how the media is responding to power and he was responding in the wrong way if you support teachers i think that's a great way to sum it up right and um there was uh Another comment I saw about, uh, Adam, what's your take on Texas allowing government workers to fill in for teachers that are out because of COVID? Uh, Thanks, Dallas, for that question. Um, I am not familiar with the one in Texas. I have seen and and heard bits and pieces from other places. Uh, I've even heard where like school resource officers, literal, you know, armed uniformed officers of the law have been uh, serving as like de facto substitutes. Um, I believe 
that's what you're referencing is something along those lines where, you know, I, I believe it was a, a school district up north that even put out word that they could uh, pool custodians and cafeteria workers, other support staff to come serve as substitutes in the classroom. I mean, when you're getting to that point, it's pretty absurd, right? It right. seems absurd on it just on, on its surface. Uh, and if the whole point of in-school person learning was to prevent learning loss, if it was really about what's best for the kids, well, then come on now. Right. That's asinine. I mean, finding random folks, <laughs> whether they work in the school in totally separate capacities or, or, you know, other agencies of the government and just shipping them in to babysit. OK, well, I mean, that's 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 just babysitting. Right. Right. Um, Which I mean, you know, I mean, childcare. There's a function for that, but. right? I mean, and that's something yeah. that we have seen definitely exposed uh, with this pandemic. It was the case beforehand, but you know, public schools are really the largest vestige of a welfare state that has deteriorated in this country. And without public schools, people don't have childcare. People don't have meals, one, two, three times a day. Um, people may not have. Uh, Access to other government resources because a lot of folks get plugged in to Medicaid and mm. food stamps, uh, rent assistance at their local neighborhood school. Right. So public schools are serving a function in our society that goes well beyond just the academic enrichment of young people, which, you know, ostensibly is the reason for it. That's why we're supposed to have schools is to educate people. But it goes beyond that. Um and I, I think it is kind of sad that we're at that point where governments would rather, you know, subject adults to being <laughs> uh, de facto substitute teachers without any of the preparation or training. Now, it's not hard to become a substitute. And believe me, they the pay will reflect that. Right. Uh, that's part of why we're seeing these staffing shortages and uh, temporary remote learning in so many school districts because – they don't have a big bench of substitutes waiting to be called up. Uh, even before the pandemic, most districts struggled to get substitutes, uh, especially, you know, the more difficult the school, mm. the harder it is to find folks typically. Mm -hmm. um, and with the pandemic, of course, one of your biggest pools of substitutes is going to be retired teachers who want to come back and maybe do it here and there, make a little right. extra money to supplement their pension. Well, obviously, they are high at risk health-wise, and mm. so you're walking into uh, a disease incubator if you walk into a classroom in most schools uh, where there is no social distancing. There's very little that's been done in terms of ventilation and, and infrastructure, like the physical buildings themselves and, and the safety there. So, right. you know, there's a lot of people who normally would sub who aren't. Um, when you're offering fifty, sixty dollars a day to people who, you know, can then see that McDonald's is offering more, even if, as we discussed, it may be uh, a fraud when they finally get hired on. But yeah, I mean that's that's the difficulty is when you're 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 so insistent that you're not going to address anything with this pandemic that you would rather just pull random adults. And stick them in front of a room full of kids just to keep the schools open. It's not about learning at that point. Right. 
It's not really about the kids at that point. I mean, yeah, the school's open, and so mom and dad can go to work, but that's really what it's about. Um, and But the, the, the asinine thing about it is if school districts did, as the Chicago Teachers Union has requested and actually has, have taken uh, real steps to mitigate this virus and its spread, there would be less interruption to uh, parents' work life. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, right, my daughter's school was, we were told, I guess Thursday afternoon, it was 3.45, 4 o'clock. So at that point, you know, some of the teachers have already left the building. They weren't prepared. We were told we would be shifting to virtual learning for uh, yesterday and Monday. And that was because of staffing. Right. And given very little notice to prepare on either end as a parent trying to prepare, you know. Well, not even not. Yeah, not even because, like, it's not safe. And that's what people are missing with this um, this teacher's issue about um, going to remote learning sometimes like to a certain extent it's not even about like it's not safe it's like we just literally there's not the people there we're not right we just literally don't and and that's that sounds like what it was here I mean we've been schools in Alabama have been um, in person virtually the whole whole pandemic so right I mean it's not about safety it's about like that we just literally don't have the bodies yeah I, I think the safety of the adults and children inside the schools was abandoned a long time ago in most places. Right. right. So it really is just a matter of logistics. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to see more districts have to do this as people go into quarantine or as people are uh, infected, as people have long-term effects and maybe can't return to work as quickly. You know, they've changed the rules and, and want you to go back to work, I guess, what, five days now? Yeah. Instead of it was 14 days and then 10 days, now it's down to five days. Right. But that only works if you're feeling up to it. Um, you know, I'm sure if you have a very mild case of Omicron, maybe that and you're otherwise healthy, five days may be enough, but that's not going to be the case for everybody. And, you know, this is maybe a controversial thing to say, but in Alabama, let's face it, a lot of our folks have pre-existing health conditions. Mm -hmm. So when folks try to downplay the virus of, oh, well, it only, you know, it's only for overweight, obese people who have to worry. It's only people who have diabetes and other conditions. Well, who the hell do you think has all these conditions? Right, right. It's the masses. Uh, So, you know. Just look at the stats. How many people in Alabama are suffering from high blood pressure, diabetes, um, obesity, and on and on. So yeah. all those factors are, are converging. And uh, I just got to say, man, I, I really feel for these teachers and I feel for the kids. Uh, these kids don't know uh, a normal school experience now for going on their third school year. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there is learning loss. That's a real mm-hmm. thing. Um, even if some of the harebrained ideas to address it are not particularly effective, but it seems like all the more reason to uh, have free college for everybody. Yeah. Hey, uh, all the more reason to strengthen those pipelines to apprenticeships. Right. So these kids who are graduating high school, knowing that, you know, they missed probably – two years of solid instruction 
they're going to be behind academically compared to their peers a few years ago. So this makes sure they can go to college if they want to or get an apprenticeship if they want to. Yeah. Seems seems like a common sense kind of thing. All right. Well, Adam's got to go. So we are going to wrap. Thank you so much, everybody. And uh, just a reminder, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can leave us a voicemail anytime throughout the week, and we might play it on the next program. And keep inviting folks to like the page on Facebook, yes. uh, like the channel or follow the channel, subscribe on YouTube. Right. Um, all those things certainly help. So yep. there are many ways you can help that does not involve financial contributions because – you know, believe me, we, we know that that's not a possibility for everybody. So we just appreciate your your uh, support, however that looks, whatever it looks like. It means a lot. Yes. Yeah. And just w- one more reminder before we go. Our largest single, because we're on the radio, we are on commercial radio, we have to pay. It's like paid programming. It's like we're buying an infomercial, right, for, for working people. And so it costs to be on the radio on the two commercial stations that we are on. And our largest single source of funding is our listeners. Uh, so um, it would be much more difficult if we did not have consistent support from so many of our listeners. If you want to be a sustaining donor, you can go to unionly.io slash O slash TVLR. That is unionly.io slash O slash TVLR or patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report uh, to become a monthly donor or a one-time donor. And uh, yeah, share the page, like the page, um, all that good stuff. And we will see you next week. The Valley Labor Report with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison.